privilege to be with you guys. I drove all the way up here from Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, they offered to fly me. It wasn't that, that would have been quicker for sure. People keep asking me, "Why did you? Why did you drive?" So I could be alone for like 18 hours. It's amazing. I get to do it again on Monday, so it's good. I love being up here. This is my third year in a row to come up here this time of year. And uh, it's like summertime compared <laughs> yeah. to the previous years. Yeah. It's really amazing. It's actually colder in Texas when I left than it was here when I got here. What? Is that weird? All right. So uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm actually here corresponding to the launch of a new series at, at New Day yes. uh, called Grace and Truth. Yes. Where uh, for the first half of the year, there'll be an emphasis on the theme of grace. Yes. And then for the second half of the year, there'll be an emphasis on the theme of truth. And I have a prediction for you. During the time where you're emphasizing grace, you'll probably talk a lot about truth. Come on. And during the time you're talking about truth, you'll probably talk a lot about grace. Come on. Because that's kind of how that tends to work. And, and, and I know from good authority that no matter which the theme is, we'll be mostly just talking about Jesus. Come on. Yeah. Amen. So I want to do that. And I want to do it specifically... Uh, by talking about grace in terms of freedom. There's this uh, wonderful story in Acts chapter 13 where Paul, on a mission, missionary journey, goes into a synagogue to preach. And, uh, he preaches a great message. The whole thing is worth reading. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to, to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the results. Uh, in, 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 in verse 42 of Acts 13, it says, As they went out, this is after the sermon, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. In other words, come back, we're going to invite you back, which is always good as a guest speaker. <laughs> and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Hmm. So he's preached the gospel to the, to, in a synagogue. So it's, it's Jewish people and Gentiles who converted Judaism, that's the audience, and, and they respond to them, this message about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and, and they respond to it with faith, and they want to hear more, and, and what is Paul's exhortation? To continue in grace, right? So, and he hasn't really talked a lot about grace in the message. That's more his summary of what they've responded to, and so what I want to do is, is back up just a few verses and find a verse or two where we put some content into what Paul means by grace. So if you back up to verse 39, uh, let's start with verse 38. Uh, this is right after he's talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he is summarizing the message. This is the altar call moment. This is the, this is the thing that is drawing people in. And in verse 38 it says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And I love this verse. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Boom. Shabbat. That's a good So here, here's, now, there's so many nuances to grace. You can't cover it in a week. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can cover it in six months. Uh, but, but, Here's an important nuance to grace. Yeah. The grace is able to set you free. And the law 
is not. Let's just read that verse again. By him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Everything. From which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now let's just talk about the things that the law was capable of setting you free from. Go ahead and listen. Because here's the contrast. Grace is able to set you free from everything that the law could not set you free from. Right? So which are the things that the law can set you free from? I don't hear a lot of ideas That's coming at me. Could, could it set you free from guilt? No. Could it set you free from shame? No. Could it set you free from sin? No. Could it set you free no. from condemnation? No. Could it set you free from the hurts and wounds of your past? No. Could it set you free from addiction and bondage to sin? No. No. It really couldn't set you free from much. As a matter of fact, when Paul, and this is a major theme of Galatians, Mm -hmm. Uh, When Paul talked about the law, he often used the metaphor of being in bondage and being in slavery as interchangeable language for being under the law. (laughs) There's this contrast between grace and law where the law represents slavery Mm -hmm. and grace represents freedom. And in Galatians, Paul actually gets pretty offensive about it. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his primary audience that he's writing to are Jewish believers in Jesus, who've especially come under the influence of some Jews from Jerusalem who are coming and saying, yeah, believing in Jesus is great, but you still have to be under the law. Yep. Yep. Right? And, and here's, the, here's the metaphor that he uses. He says, listen, you need to understand that when God brought... Israel out of slavery in Egypt and they were gathered around Sinai that he put them in slavery under the law. Wow. So he, 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 he takes this language of freedom that the Jewish people would have looked at the Exodus as the moment where God set them free. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, he just brought you under a worse bondage. He, he made you slaves to the law. And so what grace does is it comes and brings a freedom that the law could never bring. So just the math of this thing, we need to get it. The, the grace can set us free from everything that the law can't set us free from. Mm-hmm. And the law can't set us free from anything. Mm-hmm. And grace can set us free from everything. Amen. So I want to talk to you tonight just for a few minutes about freedom. And I think it would be just a great way here at the Vine Campus to begin a focus on grace because what grace brings, all of its nuances, everything you're going to understand about it, here's going to be the fruit of that in your life. Freedom. Hallelujah. Freedom. 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 But I can't talk about grace and freedom without talking about truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to run into that a lot these six months. So, so here's what Jesus said in John 8, 32. He said, uh, and you will know the truth, yeah. and the truth will do what? Set you free. Set you free. Now let's just think about that for a minute, because sometimes we need to take off our glasses. And I mean that metaphorically. I, I wear these glasses all the time. Sometimes I forget they're on my face. So I'm looking through them at everything, and they're shaping everything I see, and sometimes I don't even realize I have lenses. And we all have kind of internal lenses in our brain and our hearts, a way that we see reality it shapes how we perceive. And we bring those lenses to the scripture. Yeah. And, and, and we tend to read them like Americans. Yeah, 
know we do. <laughs> we tend to read the Bible, and that's not, there's no blame attached to that. If you're an American, of course you, you read it like American, but, but it's good to be aware of that bias. Yeah. So when Americans, when, uh, it, when Westerners, post-enlightenment Westerners, that's us, yeah. when we think of the word truth, we tend to think of accurate information. Yeah. Yep. You, when you when you know the truth, knowledge, we think of information. Truth, we think of accurate information. So we think that Jesus is saying, listen, it's very important that you have accurate information. Mm. And if you have accurate enough information, that'll set you free. That's kind of how Westerners, uh, we, we think of discipleship in those terms, that if we can just teach you enough knowledge of good, then you'll be like Jesus. But what was the tree you weren't supposed to eat from to begin with? It's the knowledge not just of evil, but the knowledge of good. So apparently, good knowledge is not even kind of almost a good thing. It's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's not. You know, it's good to have, I'd rather have good information than bad. Yeah. But if I'm going to eat from it, if it's going to be my source, if I'm going to depend on it, it's going to fail me. Yeah. So, so let's just talk for a minute about what Jesus might have meant, because I don't think he meant, if you can become doctrinally sophisticated enough, that'll set you free. That's the truth. Because if you've ever known anybody that was doctrinally sophisticated, you know by experience that that is not the case. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't claim to be doctrinally sophisticated, <laughs> but I, I'm on my journey towards it. I, I, I value it. I love to study. I love the Word. I'm, I'm wired that way as a teacher, and so I, I'm on my way to doctrine sophistication. So far, that occasionally produces arrogance in me. It, it, it occasionally makes me a bully on social media, but it, it rarely ever produces what I would call freedom. Hmm. So I suspect that Jesus meant something different. The, the word knowledge, you'll know the truth. Uh, in Jesus' day, they were, they were reading their Bible, what we call the Old Testament, their scriptures, and they read it in a Greek translation called the Septuagint. And, and so we can get a lot of clues about word meanings from how they used Greek words in the New Testament that were Greek words in the Old Testament, right? And so this word knowledge appears in verses like this. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Now what kind of knowledge is that? Accurate. What kind of knowledge is that? I've been married 25 years. Can you imagine on my wedding night, Nancy walks out of the bathroom uh, having put on something more comfortable, and there I am on the edge of the bed with my legal pad and a pen, and I'm like, babe, I want to know you. Tell me everything. <laughs> is it that kind of knowledge? I mean, after 25 years, I do have some information about her, and, and, and some of it is even accurate. Uh, but, but is that this kind of knowledge? Oh, you'll know the truth. It's not about accumulating information. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's experiential knowledge. It's intimate knowledge. It's relational knowledge. It's mm -hmm. life-producing kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. You'll know the truth. That's this word, you'll know the truth. Much deeper than just information. And you'll know the truth. It's, it's truth that can't just be accurate information because we're not talking about knowledge that's just what you can pick up in a book or on a notepad. Right? What, but to Jesus, we know that truth is not just creed. It's not just formula. It's not just doctrine, not just theology. And don't hear me minimizing the value of those. They're incredibly valuable. It's just not what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah, you right. know the truth. Well, let's just, how does Jesus use the word truth? He says things like this. I am the way, 
a set of doctors, not a doctoral statement on a website. Mm -hmm. uh, all those things are valuable. I believe in them. Our, our doctrinal statement in my local church is the Nicene Creed. We're just going to go with what's worked for a long time, right? And so I believe in that. It matters. But when Jesus says you'll know the truth, he's not talking about increase in doctrinal sophistication. He's talking about having an intimate, experiential, personal, relational knowledge of the one who is truth. Yes. And that'll set you free. We're talking about grace. We're talking about something God did in Jesus to make that available to me. Mm -hmm. And to make that available to you. You can know Jesus in that way. And it produce freedom in life. Mm. Now Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, says the same thing, a similar thing, just using different language. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, he says, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? You know the truth, experiential, intimate, relational knowledge, where the Spirit of the Lord, how do you think we have experiential, relational, intimate knowledge of Jesus, where the Spirit of the Lord is, mm -hmm. there's freedom. If we took some time to just unpack the context there, I'm going to try to summarize it. It's, it's a wonderfully rich chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, and, and worthy of a lot of your time, but if I could just take a moment, he's actually referencing Moses and the story of Moses mm. up on top of Mount Sinai. You remember Moses went up there 40 days, 40 nights, the cloud of God's presence. He's in the glory cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. And then at the end of it, he has the audacity to speak to the one. He's been in the glory cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. He says, would you show me your glory? There's always more. That's why mm. we pray more, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. And so after 40 days in the glory classes, would you show me your glory? And, and, and God's like, if I turned up the heat a little bit, it might kill you. Okay, let's do this. I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you up, and I'll pass by you, and then I'll remove my hands so that you just get a glimpse of the residue remaining of my glory that's already passed by yes. on full display. And, and that's probably all you can stand. And so Moses comes down off the mountain. And what was true about his face? He was shining because he had beheld the glory and he had been transformed by what he beheld. He, you, you become what you behold. Is kind of the, this is the principle that Paul's drawing out of an Old Testament story in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, listen, Moses, he, 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 his face was shining. And then they put a veil, remember this, they put a veil over his face? Yeah. Right? And when I read it in the Old Testament, I remember as a kid, they told the story, and I thought, I know why they put a veil over his face. Because that is weird. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Cover that up, Moses. We're not that kind of church. Right? <laughs> that is not secret sensitive. Yeah. Right? And so, cover it up. And so they cover up the... The, the, but the Paul draws out a whole different reason why they covered it up. He says that they, they put a veil over the glory on his face because every day there was less glory. Uh, okay. They weren't covering up the glory. They were covering up that it was fading. Uh, and, and then he takes that veil and he begins to use it as a metaphor. He, he, he says, to this day when Moses is read, when the law is read, 
a veil remains. Let's just think about what a veil does, what it represents. You ever been to a wedding where the bride is wearing a veil? This is what, a lot of times you don't see it as much anymore, at least where they, where they come down the aisle and the veil is actually over their face. It used to be much more common. It's a powerful symbol. She's walking down the aisle. She's got a veil. What does the veil represent? The veil represents the limitation of what you can see and what you can access apart from covenant. Mm. So she's walking. She doesn't have covenant yet. She's walking down the aisle, and there's a veil. And it is a prophetic message to that dude standing there that says, there's a limitation to what you can see, and there's a limitation to what you can access until there's a covenant. Mm. And so he stands nervously before the preacher and before her and says, I will, I do, all the things. And then she says, I do, I will, all the things. And then the preacher says, okay, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may do what? Kiss the bride, but what has to happen before the kiss can take place? There has to be an unveiling. But now that there's been a covenant established, the limitation in what he can see and what he can access is now removed. Mm. And there's an unveiling. That's what, that's what a veil does. Yeah. They had a veil like that in the tabernacle in the temple, right? Right. You know, that had this, this building, this tent, you know, in the wilderness, and then later in Solomon's day, a, a permanent structure that had the outer court and the holy place and the most holy place. And the holy of holies was blocked. You couldn't go in there because there was a veil. One guy, once a year, very carefully, was able to go in. Nobody else could go in because they didn't have God's book in there. They had the God of the book in there. Yeah. Right? They had the glory cloud in there. They had the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. They mm -hmm. had God in there. And then, well, what does the veil represent? It's a limitation of what you can see and a limitation of what you can access until Good. there's a covenant. And so God creates, makes covenant in Jesus, in the death of Jesus as the Lamb of God on the cross. And the moment that Jesus breathes out his last breath and dies, what's the first thing that God does? He rips the veil of the temple yeah. from top to bottom. Because now that there's covenant, the limitation of what you can see and the limitation of what you can access has been removed. Mm -hmm. This is the, the biblical imagery that Paul's working with in 2 Corinthians 3. He's kind of conflating Moses' veil because he beheld the glory and he was transformed, but it was fading, with this veil in the tabernacle and saying, now, there's actually a veil when you just read the Bible. Ever feel that? You're like, I'm reading the words, but I don't think I'm seeing what's there. We can all relate to that sometimes, right? Yeah. He says, listen, here's the truth. When anyone turns to Jesus, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, the veil is removed. Yeah. That's temple language. Mm -hmm. The veil between the holy of holies and the holy place. Holy place represents earthly reality. Holy of holies is heavenly reality. Mm -hmm. Right? Separated by a veil. And anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You've got two different rooms because there's a veil. How many rooms do you have if you remove the veil? One. One. And heaven invades earth. Mm -hmm. Heaven and earth intersect and overlap at that point. Earthly reality and heavenly reality become hard to distinguish from each other when the veil is removed. And so, so if anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now we can access what we couldn't access before because of covenant. Now, now we can see what we couldn't see before because of grace. Yes. And that's the context where Paul says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if I'm standing in the holy place, I'm a priest, but I can't go 
on the other side of the veil where the glory is. I can do the religious things. We can do the incense and we can do the table of showbread and we can light the candles and we can do all the patterns and types and shadows, but the glory I don't have access to because I don't have covenant. The glory I don't have access to because I don't have grace. I only have law. The yeah. glory I don't have access to because there's a veil. But if I turn to Jesus, that's just an expression of faith. The veil is removed because of covenant, and now I can see what I couldn't see before. I have access mm. to what I could not have access before, and now I have the invitation by grace to step into the cloud yes. of glory. Yeah. And he says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he goes on, he says this, and we all, everybody say all. All. Who does that exclude? No, nobody. no one. No one. Just listen around. This, I'm talking to you. And we all, with unveiled face. Now we're switching back to the Moses metaphor. Veiling the face. Unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. I'm going to unpack this in a minute. Are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. But I'll, I'll just pull out a few phrases to start to unpack this. First of all, from glory to glory, what was true about Moses' glory? It was doing what every day? Fading. It was fading. But what's true about this new covenant glory? From glory to glory to glory, it's, in, it's ever increasing. We don't have to veil it because it's ever increasing. That's the difference. Okay, mm -hmm. a couple other things. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled, okay, let's talk about the word unveiled. What's the name of the last book of the, of the New Testament? Revelation. Revelation. Anybody know what the Greek word for revelation is? Anybody know what the Greek word? Yes, exactly. Apocalypse. Uh, apocalypsis. Uh, uh, remember, maybe if you don't know the Greek, you know the movie. Apocalypse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apocalypse now, right? Uh, if you're older, older. you get that. Uh, so, uh, uh, apocalypse uh, is just a Greek word, apocalypsis. Uh, apa or ana means to remove or to lift, and kalypsis is a veil. So, the word for revelation means to remove or lift the veil. So if anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. If anyone turns to the Lord, anaclusis, the veil is lifted. The veil is removed. If anyone turns to the Lord, revelation. Boom. Mm -hmm. God wants to reveal himself to you, okay? And then the next phrase, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. How does he want to reveal himself? He wants to reveal his presence in your life in such a way that it sets you free. Okay, what, what's that going to look like? And we all, with unveiled face, all of us walking in that revelation, the revelation of what? Of his presence. Behold his glory as in a mirror. Okay, now you guys look amazing tonight, so it's clear to me that you looked in a mirror at some point today, and I'm very confident that you looked in a mirror, not to find out what I look like, but to find out what you look like. 
Isn't that why we look in a mirror to find out what we look like? Because we can't really see ourselves without looking in a mirror. So Jesus, it says here that we behold his glory as in a mirror. Are you saying, God, that I'm supposed to look at what you look like in order to find out what I look like? Mm. Yeah. That shouldn't be a shock if you've read Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. Hmm. very first thing God ever said about you is you're going to look just like a daddy. Mm -hmm. right? So one, if you forget what you look like, you better look at him. Mm -hmm. And that's the gospel. We forgot what we look like. And what we look like, what we're supposed to look like is veiled to us. But if we turn to Jesus, the veil's lifted. And now I can see again who I'm supposed to look like. Mm. Remember, Moses beheld the glory and it changed what he looked like. Yep. Now I'm with an unveiled face, I'm going to behold the glory as in a mirror, and I'm going to be transformed into that same image. I'm going to become what I behold, just like Moses became what he beheld, only his glory faded and mine's going to ever increase because I have a better covenant. So discipleship is not about increasing your doctrinal sophistication. It's about learning to turn to the Lord in yes. such a way that you experience where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. Let me say that another way. Where you learn to behold His glory as in a mirror. You learn to stare at the beautiful face of Jesus yes. and be transformed by that experience, that encounter, that beholding. Where you are transformed into the same image. That's not a new idea. That's the very thing God purposed for you. Let us make man in our image. Yeah. Male and female in, in, in the image of God. Mm -hmm. That's the thing you were predestined for, Romans 8, mm -hmm. to be conformed to that image. Transformed. It would be tra the, the, the idea, if you've ever remembered science, they taught you how a caterpillar will go into a cocoon and it'll stay there for a while. And after a while, it will come out of the cocoon, but it won't be a caterpillar anymore, will it? What will it be? Butterfly. Butterfly. Do you remember what that scientific word is for that transformation? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. That's this Greek word. Metamorphosis. It, it, that I'm going to be, if I'm going to behold his glory as in a mirror, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to be metamorphosed. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to become something altogether new. I'm going to experience new creation. Not a reset, not a do-over. Right. A completely qualitatively different kind of creation. Mm -hmm. That's this kind of... That, that word, transform, is really powerful and it only appears a few, few places. We find it in Romans 12. Uh, that, that, you know, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Don't, do not be conformed to this world, it says in most English translations. That's terrible. It, it's the, the word for time. It's not about place. It, it's, it's, it's don't be conformed to this age, right. is, the, is the word. Which, with, from a Jewish mindset, there's only two ages, this one and the one to come. So if I'm going to not be conformed to this age, which one can I be conformed to? The one to come. That's mm. the implication here. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna not be conformed to the pattern of this age implied. I, I'm gonna be conformed to the, the age to come. How I'm gonna do that? I'm gonna be transformed. I'm gonna be metamorphosed by by the renewal of my mind. Yeah. Something is gonna so radically change in the way I perceive reality that it makes me a completely new creation. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and and then we see this same word, it's in the Gospels, but it's one story. It's just recounted a couple different times. Where Jesus takes 
Peter, James, and John leaves the other nine. Uh, it's great teaching on boundaries, by the way. Not everybody gets to have equal access to you. <laughs> and he, he takes Peter, James, and John, and he takes them on top of the mountain. They get up on top of the mountain and have a really cool church. Because here's what's happened. On top of the mountain, remember Mount Sinai, right? Different mountain, but similar picture. The glory cloud descends. Right. The audible voice of God comes. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah appeared, representing the law and the prophets. Everything that's gone before and talked to Jesus. Peter's like freaking out. Oh my gosh, let's build a building. Let's have a fundraising campaign. Let's. <laughs> the father basically tells him to shut up. Yeah. Essentially. But what happens to Jesus? It says his... His clothes turned brilliant white and light began to shine out of his being brilliantly, blindingly. And we call that story the what? Do you remember the word for that? Transfiguration. It's the same word, metamorphado. The thing that he said is going to happen to you, metamorphado. Well, how do we know what it looks like when metamorphado happens? What happened to Jesus on Mount Tabor, the transfiguration, mm -hmm. where he, the glory he carried began to shine through him. Mm. You're, you're going to behold the what? The glory, and you're going to be metamorpho into that same image. You're going to become what you behold. The Western church has kind of discarded that as a model for discipleship. The Eastern church, the Orthodox church, like the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, their model for discipleship actually includes their belief that if you learn to turn to the Lord enough in your life, that the glory of God will be manifest in you just like that. And there's story after story from their history where it's actually happened. So we talk about freedom. Let me finish with this thought. We think of getting freed from the law. We think of getting freed from addiction, maybe freed yeah. from the hurts of our past, getting freed from maybe habitual sin. We get and freedom includes all those things. Everything the law can't set you free from, grace can set you free from. Right. But when we think about freedom in terms of what happens when we know the truth and the truth sets us free, when we experience where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We're not talking about just what we get freed from. We're talking about a process of who we're becoming. Yeah. That we become, we don't just get freed from, we become something. Adam and Eve, before Genesis 3, they were free. Yeah. But they weren't free from anything. Mm. You know, Adam didn't have a story where he got set free from looking at porn. <laughs> you know, Eve didn't have a testimony. I used to really have this anger problem, but I got to... There was no freed from. They were just free. Freedom is, in its essence is not about what you got freed from. That's necessary. For us, it's a necessary part of the process, and thank God. But freedom in its essence is not what have I been freed from, but who do I get to become as a result? And I'm telling you that the thing because of grace that you get to become when Christ sets you free is you get to become a carrier of the glory. Amen. Yeah. And that's what you're made for. Yeah. Let's make a you in our image, in our likeness. That's the glory.
So what I want to do is pray for you. Can I just ask you to stand just as a, a way to respond together? And I want to ask you to close your eyes. There's so many different ways that Jesus can reveal his glory. There's so many different ways that we can turn to him and have the veil lift. But a simple way to do that is just to close your eyes and turn to him by turning your attention to his presence. Here's how grace works. As we, we turn our attention to his presence. So just pay attention to Jesus is here. And it helps not just your attention, turn your affection toward him. Give your heart permission to just really think he's neat. <laughs> to really think he's beautiful. To really feel affection for Jesus. And just turn to him. Paul says when we do that, that revelation is the result, the veil lifts, and we begin to experience his presence. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So just in turning to Jesus, we begin to experience the Spirit. There's so many ways he can reveal his glory. It can actually be with your natural eyes. But for me, and I think in church history, the most common way is the inward seeing. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, so just there's this inward place where all of us can see. You know, you can imagine what you're going to eat for dinner. It's, it's, you can see inwardly. And, and in that inward multimedia room, he can show himself to you. So I just want us to take a step, it's just a little step, in this beholding of the glory process. And I want you, in, in your own words, in your own way, just under your breath, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what do you want to show me about your glory tonight that I'm currently not seeing? One time I asked him that and I was picturing him, but he was like far away, like several steps. And when I asked him that, he just came really close, like nose to nose. One time I asked him that, and he just pulled me into his arms. One time I asked him that, and he got really bright. There's just so many different ways he can answer. Lord, what do you want to show me about your glory that I'm currently not seeing? As he shows you, does something, you see him do something, he says something to you. Your image of Jesus is not perfect, it's incomplete, but it's, it's from glory to glory, it's ever increasing. As he shows that to you, what's happening is that you're being transformed. You're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Glory is increasing by the Spirit from glory to glory. There's freedom in that. Freedom to become what you behold. So God, I pray over uh, this congregation, yeah. New Day Vine, that this campus will be a campus, a, a congregation full of a community of people who learn to turn to you and experience the glory, 
behold the glory, and be transformed by the glory. And that everything that they learn about grace and everything that they learn about truth would just be from glory to glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Can we appreciate Pastor Alex? So I've actually heard you a few times, and every time I'm still so amazed and grateful and just, um, I think inspired is a good word for it. So thank you so much for coming here tonight.